0: all right y'all ready for the word all right if you have your bibles you can turn to 1 kings 19 we're going to be going through about 18 verses of scripture but so the title of the message tonight is hey what are you doing here what are you doing here i think that's a pretty important question because when god asks you what are you doing here you may not be in the right place When we read the stories of the Bible, there's many great prophets, many mighty men and women of God that we can see throughout the Bible. Uh, There's many amazing accounts of how God worked through them to to further his mission. You know, they've done mighty, mighty things. And as us, we can read through the Bible and we can think that there may never be a way that we could even relate to the things that they have done in their life. You know, it's easy to think that they had it all together. You know, when we think of these people in the Bible, we kind of could think that they go from victory to victory. But we, we know, living our life, it's not always victory to victory. It's usually hardship, 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 victory, hardship, hardship. People want, people need. I can't provide. I don't know what to do. You know, and we, we always see all the mighty things that they do, all the victories. It's easy to focus on the victories and skip over the moments in between. And I think it's very important because the moments in between show how these Characters in the Bible, these mighty people that God used, are very relatable to even the way we are. Through all the stories, there's many struggles and victories well documented. You know, one of these great men we're going to be discussing tonight will be the prophet Elijah. We're going to talk about Elijah tonight. Um, as I began studying his life, I didn't get very far. <laughs> I kind of got roadblocked because I, as I'm reading through verse uh, chapter 19, I start seeing some similarities in his moment that I have struggled with in my life you know God stopped me and pointed out some valuable lessons so number one is the most valuable thing that I've ever learned in my life uh, is that we all have a desire to worship and that's worship God we were all created with this desire and this longing even though some people online or some people out there in the world may not see it there is a desire for us to worship also that the moment that you turn your life to Christ Things completely change radically. I mean, God is so good when he can restore a life of a lost person, okay? Next, what I've learned through my life is that depression, distraction, despair, anxiety, worry, fear, doubt, uh, all these things that are all negative that just continually consume our mind that we think we're never going to do this, we're never going to do that, woe, it's me, all these things, they're not from God. If you're struggling with something like that, and it's negative, it's not from God. We're going to see in Elijah's life tonight that he struggled with some of these things. What happens is emotions give us a distorted reality of our situations. When we emotionally react to something, it kind of distorts our point of view. We will discover in Elijah's life tonight that we are... Let me see how to word this to where it sounds right. When there's nobody in your life to help you stop the way you think when you're feeling negative, that's a bad conversation. I have learned in my life when things were so bad and I was, it was so negative and it's just me riding, riding you know, around in my truck and my thoughts, that is the worst conversation you can have because you're already feeling down you're already feeling discouraged, you already hate everything around you, it takes one thing to just set you off even more, and there's nobody to help pull you through it. That's one of the worst things is when you're feeling a negative emotion and you are alone. We become unable to react in a way to actually get things done in a positive manner when all we think of is Negativity. And I remember being in a place like this in my life. But tonight, we are going to see that just like Elijah's life, God enters the picture. He entered the picture in my life. He's entered the picture in many of your your life. You online, y'all have been through a moment of your testimony where God has entered into that rough place. And when God enters, he's basically saying, tell me how you feel. I can remember, you know, woe it's me, hating myself. And finally, when I submitted, God's telling me, what is it that you're going through? Well, maybe there's some, you know, maybe God's trying to get some of your attention tonight. Maybe there's something that you just, you're struggling with and you just cannot get rid of it. Well, God wants you to know, tell him what you're going through. God will also provide somebody to minister to you. You know, we'll see in Elijah's life that he sent an angel to provide for him and then he got up and went out. One thing I love about the church is the church is so important because at the church there is people here that can help minister to help pour into your life, help encourage you. That is one reason God created the church. As you come in lost, hurting, you know, dying, going through these things, there is people in this church that want to help build you up, help motivate you. And then once you get fully restored, redeemed, and you're living for Christ, you will be the next one motivating the next person. Isn't that great? Amen. All right, so when we become overwhelmed with our emotions, you know, don't, I don't, you know, I'm not denying the reality of how hard emotions are to deal with sometimes, but just know that when God gets involved, it's going to be okay. Amen? All right, so let's look at the backstory of Elijah's life. we got a lot of ground to cover just so you can kind of get an understanding of how could he be in the place where he's at in chapter 19. So we first see Elijah in uh, chapter 17 of 1 Kings. Here it is where King Ahab, he's an idol worshiper. You know, he turned Israel uh, from following God to idol worshiping um, of Baal and Asherah. And because of this, Elijah is prophesying that there would be no rain to demonstrate God's judgment on the people. Then it goes on, you know, Elijah speaks. There's no rain, so he's running, you know, from Ahab, and he gets brought to the brook of Cherith where he was provided for by the Lord. Now, one thing that's important here that I really think is pretty neat is there's two types of provisions here. First, he gives Elijah a natural provision, which was the water, something to drink. That way he's hydrated. The next is he sends bread and meat, so he sends a sandwich from ravens to provide (laughs) twice a day. I think that's pretty amazing because it shows how God uses supernatural things and natural things to both... Help us in our time of need. Natural thing may be somebody pouring into your life, helping encourage you. And then the next thing you know, there may be some radical transformation of something you prayed about. Or just out of the blue, you have money that you never knew where it would come from, that you've been praying for. So there's a natural and supernatural provision. But we see in verse 7, it says the brook dried up due to there being lack of rain. So now Elijah's in the same place as all the people. So his natural provision dried up. What's important about that is, let me tell you, when things dry up in your life, because he was still under God's covering, when things dry up in your life, don't think that God ain't there. Maybe he's just trying to move you to somewhere else. There may be people in your life that you have been pouring into. There comes a point where you can only pour so much. And if they're not ready to receive it, there's somebody else that's out there ready to receive it. So maybe this moment in your life that you thought was so replenishing It dries up. Just know seasons change. But God is always bringing you to the next place. Then we're going to see in uh, chapter 12 of 1 Kings, it says, The Lord commanded Elijah to go to Zarephath, where he would find a widow woman to provide for him. Now, I wonder how he was thinking that there's going to be a widow woman to provide for me. You know, he just went from all these things, and now he's going to Zarephath, which Zarephath, this place was like, you know, we're the Bible Belt. This was like the bell belt. This was like all about Baal worship. This was idol worship territory. And he's going to go in there, a man of God, and he's going to think, you know, I'm going to find this widow woman and she's going to provide. So he's fully trusting God right here. Well, the widow, however, was in great need herself. Okay. She had a small amount of ingredients to make one small cake, you know, a little bit of oil. And she literally said that we're going to make this and we're going to go and die. Elijah... What I like here is he tested her faith. And because the widow's faith was evident, because she provided for him with what he needed, you know, God was faithful in his promise. You know, so this is like, when we give, we shall receive. You know, you don't know how your smallest little blessing will come back tenfold. I just think it's pretty amazing here that Elijah was used to test her faith. And because she put her faith in him, God first, you know, food was provided for Elijah. So here he is provided for again. So multiple times, every time that Elijah's like, well, I don't know how you're going to do this, God, but you're going to do it. He just supplies provisions for him. Now, all this has a point to where we're going to, okay? Um, Next, we're going to see that this woman's son later dies of an illness. And in her anger and grief, she's blaming Elijah for what happened, thinking that God's judging her of her sin. Well, you know... Here's Elijah crying out to God, and a supernatural thing happens. Her son is raised from the dead. So he had a natural provision and another supernatural provision. Then we're going to go on to 1 Kings 18, where Elijah was able to face off to 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Without fear and intimidation. Here's one man of God coming against 850 people to demonstrate that my God's more powerful than your idol, you know, God. That that our God's going to provide more than your God's ever going to provide. I mean, I tell you, if you stand in front of 850 angry people foaming out of the mouth thinking that that their idol God is more powerful than yours, that takes some courage to do. Well, he challenged him in a face-off. One short prayer, fire comes down from heaven. And it consumed the offering. It showed that his God was more powerful than their God. Everything they tried to do, worshiping their, 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 their worldly idol, would not provide. One call from heaven, fire comes down. So, I mean, that's pretty amazing. I would think that he thinks that he's some, somebody, you know. Here I am. I pray for God and God provide. It. Let me show all 850-something, uh, you know, of y'all something. Well, then, after that happens, the people fall on the ground, and they're like, your God is the God. So I could think he's just walking around like, man, I got this together. (laughs) And I'm bad to the bone right now. (laughs) I'll tell you what. So then he gets all the people to take the 450 Baal prophets and kills them. And now we're coming to the point in our story. Okay, so after this, Elijah... He just defeated all these people. Now he's like, all right, we're gonna, now we're going to bring rain down. So he's just going from one, one thing that's awesome to another. So he's asking God. He's on his, his knees, and he's just praying out to God. He said he prayed seven times and sent his servant to keep going out and looking, keep going out and looking. The thing about praying and looking, praying and looking, this right here shows that he had persistence in faith. And that's important for every Christian is that we are persistent in prayer and that we have faith that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Elijah knew what the Lord spoke to him. So he's just going to keep praying. He's going to keep being persistent. Amen? Then in verse 46, it says, The Lord gave special strength to Elijah. So he's just, I mean, he's floating on cloud nine right now. He was given special strength. It says he tucked his cloak in his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way back to Jezreel. Now, I say all that because we see one thing, one thing, one thing. He's going from one thing to another, one thing to another. I mean, he's just, he's just causing a stir in all the land. We have two whole chapters of him just go, 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 running, 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 just doing things, doing things, pouring out here, doing this. Now, we're going to see a total different person in Elijah in chapter 19. He just had a mighty demonstration of both God's provision and power, supernatural, natural, and, you know, mighty demonstrations of power, fire from heaven, rain, I'm calling rain to start, calling rain to stop, I'm going to run faster than horses and chariots and all this stuff. And now in Elijah, there's a whole different person. This kind of reminds me of of a Christian getting saved, born again, they're fired up a few years go by, they quit listening to worship music, they quit praying, they quit studying the word every day. They're a total different person than they were when they are saved. But the Bible describes Elijah to us in James 5 as a man of like passions, okay? Simply meaning that he is human both like me and you. So when you think that you could never do anything like a prophet or a mighty person of the Bible, here's a prime example that he is a man of like passions. This simply means he's both like you and me, human. This means he also got discouraged, he got distracted, he got depressed. He had all these emotional things go on, but God still used him in a mighty way. So just because you may be going through some, some, some things, don't think that God cannot use you in a mighty way. We're going to show how Elijah overcomes these things. All right, we're going to see now in chapter 19. Here is where Elijah is experiencing the most difficult time of his life cloud nine to dirt he is discouraged he is worn out he is tired he's depressed and at even one point he's even suicidal in the scripture or so he thinks he is I think it's more of a reaction trying to be a little over dramatic maybe but this brings us to our first part of scripture we're going to be uh chapter 19 verse 1 It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the God strike me and even kill me, but if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. That's crazy to me. I mean, he just went through all these things. Now he's running and fleeing for his life. It says he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. Prayed that he might die. So here he was, all these mighty things of God, now he wants to die. God constantly provided, now he wants to die. So Elijah is running from the threats of Jezebel. He's running from his life from one woman. So when your wives threaten you, it's, you know, (laughs) take it serious sometimes. You ain't got to say you want to die, but you can go out into the other room or something. (laughs) And he's running for his life, and he goes south to Jezreel, to Beersheba, and leaves his servant there. Okay? Okay? I don't know why he left a servant there. We're going to talk about this. But the Bible then tells us he traveled a day's journey to Nagav wilderness and finally stops and rests under a broom tree. What's important about a broom tree is they're about this tall. So to get under a broom tree, you've got to get pretty low to the dirt. This is a desert shrub. It's ugly. It don't have much shade. And every time in the Bible we see a broom tree, it's either a moment of despair or a moment of divine encounters. So we're going to see that both in Elijah's life. He is in total despair, but he has a divine encounter. This brings me to my first point tonight. The first point is going to be noises and competing voices. We live in a time where our minds can be full of noises and competing voices. Now, I'm not talking about some type of, you know, bipolar or anything like that. I'm talking about that voice in your mind that talks back to yourself. Sometimes that can be the worst voice ever as you talking back to yourself. All of Elijah's discouragement came from the threats of Jezebel. He knew the threats were serious because she was a serious woman. She was fierce. She would kill anybody. She already killed the prophets of the time except the ones that were hiding in the cave. So how could Elijah find himself in this state, running in fear, entering into a place of wavering faith? I believe particularly because he experienced, you know, I don't understand because he experienced all these tremendous victories and all these things. And now he's at a place where he just... He don't know what to do. He's fearful. He wants to die. Why didn't he he just call down fire from heaven and blow her up too? I mean, he just did it, you know, in front of 850 people. Why wouldn't God provide again? That's what I would be asking. Oh, God, send your fire and whatever you want. Blow this evil woman up. Well, I guess God had a bigger plan in the next chapter, you know. Anyways, uh, So Elijah allowed these threats to cause him tremendous fear. And see, at times, it's common for people to have threats or worries could be completely overwhelming. This is even more common when we are exhausted and burned out. When you have just been running and running and running and running, you can be to a place where you're so mentally tired, you're so distracted, that even it doesn't matter, just one more thing could just set you off. Well, I feel like it's important to take time for rest. I would say that Elijah and his exhaustion allowed these noises and these competing voices to pollute his mind. They diluted and po- uh, polluted Everything that God just put in his mind the few chapters before. So when I'm talking about competing voices, think of it like this. You're eating in a restaurant. You're sitting there trying to order your food. You hear all the conversations over here. You hear all the conversations over here. Next thing, you have two voices in your head trying to compete for one mind. That's kind of what we go through when you try to be positive, and then negativity enters your mind. You know, you try to be encouraged. You say, I'm going to get up and do better. And then you hear that mind that you're not good enough. You're that kid that grew up. Your parents never thought you were nothing. You had negative prophecies spoken over your whole life. You were never going to amount to nothing. Those are competing voices. Or, you know, you're, you're alone bed, in bed at night. You're tired. You're anxious. You're depressed. And that voice tries to maximize the bad and minimize the good. That's a competing voice. When the voice in your mind tries to say it's going to be way worse than it's going to be. Well, I imagine if, I would have, if he would have brought his servant, because we talked about he left his servant. I would imagine if he brought his servant, maybe he could have spoke some sense to him. Because he would have been like, look, we just prayed for rain. It rained in you outran a chariot. Look at all the things you did. That's why it's important for us to have people around us. It's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for us to not have somebody to hold us accountable, to help encourage, to help pour into our life. I believe that if he brought his servant, maybe the whole thing would have been different. Maybe when he's running in the wilderness, he's like, man, why are you acting like a fool? You know, God's using you in a mighty way, and you're being stupid. Sometimes that's what I need to hear. Huh, Brad? <laughs> no, I'm just playing. All right. When we're talking to ourselves with a negative mindset, this is a bad conversation, okay? Now we're going to go to chapter 4. We're going to see how God turns all this around, too. Verse 4 says, Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under the broom tree, like we just talked about, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors, for I have, who have already died. Seems a little bit dramatic to me. I know that when I've gone through some tough times in my life, my prayers to God are probably a little more overdramatic than they need to be. Then in verse 5, it says, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but he was sleeping, and an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. So I believe here he was neglecting to seek God. Because if we look back in the previous chapters, as Elijah was running for his life, the Lord never told him to run. The Lord never said, you feel threatened, go. You need to go for your life. The Lord, He just took off and run. So he did things out of his own strength. So in this moment, he was not guided by the Lord as he ran. Elijah's response was a reaction to a threat. It was, it was He was allowing fear to guide him. In every situation before, Elijah either heard from God or he prayed to God. It didn't say that he did either one of these when he took off running. In our life, there's things that we try to do when we are just, our mind is just overwhelmed with negativity. We can easily neglect God. We get so consumed with that that we get so checked out. You got to check in or you're going to check out. You have to stay in the word or you'll just get away from the word. So my question is in every situation before he seeked God so do you ever let your emotions guide you? Because I know making emotional decisions usually don't have positive outcomes. If you, you know, Somebody that's angry and they want to react on an emotion, it's going to be a pretty bad outcome. They're going to do something very stupid and ignorant. I've been there. I know. (laughs) And by instantly reacting to a situation, we often use poor judgment. God wants us to seek him first, and then he rewards us. God seeks those who seek him. When you are running after God and you're chasing after God, he's chasing after you. There's a difference of having a life walking with God and walking without God. I walked without God for many years and my life's way different. Some of these people in my life that were in my life, they look at my life now and they may think that I think I'm better than them, but that ain't it. I just have a new perspective. And when you start walking with God, you have a new perspective, a new outlook. You don't want to do them things, you don't want to go there. You want to be set apart, you want to be different. It's not that you're better than them, you just you want a better life. Some people like living in hell. I don't want to be in hell. I want to be different. I want to be set apart. I've lived in hell long enough. I don't want to wall around with the pigs. You know, I want to take a bath and be clean. That's a prime example why it's important to walk with God. Things are a lot easier in life. So then, verse 6, it says, He looked around, and there beside his head was bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate, he drank, and the food he gave him, you know, enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, where he went to a cave and he spent the night. It's interesting to me that just as the Lord sends somebody to comfort Elijah, He usually sends somebody in our time of need to comfort us. I can remember there's been people in my life, when I really needed some help, they just reached out and helped. God always sends somebody to comfort you. It's either natural provision or supernatural provision. As Elijah traveled through the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, I can only imagine what he's thinking. He's just running, oh, Lord, kill me. I know you just provided, but I'm not focused on that. I'm just running, 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 40 days in the wilderness. You know, here I am. I can only imagine going, oh, my God. You know, I want God to kill me. I'm never going to be good enough. This woman's going to kill me. Man, I just hate where my life's at. I was well, way up here now. I'm way down here. Who knows what he's going through? When we're alone to our own thoughts, you, only you know your thoughts. The thing I like about it, though, is there's something biblical about waiting. You know, 40 days is a recurring theme in the Bible. God flooded the earth 40 days, 40 nights. Moses interceded on behalf of Israel 40 days. Uh, Israel's spies went out for 40 days. Goliath taunted King Saul's army for 40 days. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. Then there were 40 days between Jesus and his resurrection and ascension. Like if Elijah would have just stopped and waited on God instead of running, he could have avoided a whole chapter of the Bible. He could have spent 40 days probably doing something more powerful from God than running in his fear and his anxiety and his worry and his doubt. No, I want to die. It goes back to that old thing is, you know, what you do while you wait, maybe how long you, you know it takes. I don't know how Pastor Ron really says it, but that's, that's my uncopyrighted version. So. <laughs> so he had a mind neglecting and full of noise right now and it's important that we check in so that we're not so checked out because there's a lot that we can avoid by checking in with God first brings me to my third point which is called which is being still Elijah had finally arrived to his appointed destination, which is Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, which is located on the Sinai Peninsula. And this was a special place in the Bible, okay, especially to Moses. And it was referred to the mountain of God. Now, Elijah stood in the same place that Moses did. You know, Moses saw the burning bush here. Uh, He was called to serve the Lord here. He was given the Ten Commandments, the laws, the statues, and all that for Israel, You know, he struck the rock here, which provided water for the children of Israel. And this was also the place where the glory of God passes by Moses. So here's Elijah in this cave, hiding, isolated, scared. He had finally reached his place of being still. Finally, he's still, and he's not running, running, running. He's still, he stopped. Now God can get his attention. Some of us have been running for so long, maybe you online have been running for so long, that maybe you just need to stop for God to get your attention. Maybe that's all it takes. You know, maybe he wanted a confrontation with God. Maybe he was worried because all he was doing was praying that he'd just die. Then maybe he didn't know what was going to happen here. But as he laid there and rested, a familiar voice. So this was somebody he knew. That means we have a personal relationship with God. Because it says, a familiar voice of the Lord spoke to him. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elisha? I find it fascinating that in our our moments, sometimes we just need rest. Things can distract us, they can drain us, you know, and, and they can just completely cause us to neglect important areas in our life. Not only that, before the Lord gave provision, gave him food, he filled him up, he gave him sustenance, then he provided rest, and then he came and spoke to him. So maybe sometime the provision is reading the Word, diving into Scripture, Praying, seeking God, getting rest, meditating, and then the Lord speaks to you. Maybe that's what it takes. But I'm not sure Elijah understood the question. Elijah replied, I have zealously served you, Lord. I can imagine he was just whining. I just served you, Lord, God Almighty. But the people of Israel broke their their covenant, covenant with you. They torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left. The response he gave, he gave the reasons why he was there. He answered the why, but not the what. He said, God, I'm just all this stuff. God said, what are you doing here? Not, you know, God, look, I, I'm in some trouble. I need some help. I need some motivation. But he just went, whoa, it's me. He gave the why, not the what. So what God does. As he caused him to come out on the mountain, the Lord told him as Elijah stood there. The Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord the God was not in the wind. Then after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So Elijah actually got up and had to do something. You know, you cannot just lay and sulk in your misery. You have to get up and go. You know, it takes, it takes a little bit of effort. You know, God wants, wants you, but you have to pursue God too. God just showed a powerful demonstration, but he couldn't be found in the powerful demonstration because it says that he was not in it. All the roaring, the trembling, the fire, the, you know, then a still small voice came. God all is, isn't always in the fire in the big things. He's often in the little things. You know, God's not going to yell at you, condemn you, shout you down, but he's going to come and say, hey, what do you need? It's going to be okay. What are you doing here? And let me tell you, if God puts that on your heart, you're probably in the wrong place. You need to do a little bit of correction. Then again, we see God, you know, asking, what are you doing here again, Elijah, in verse 14? gives the same exact reply. It looks like it was copy and pasted. Identical. Word for word. You would think after all the power and the witness, you know, he just witnessed, that his response would have changed. But he gave excuse. And at times of our life, we can give excuses. But let me tell you, when you start giving excuses for things, you're almost... You're almost no good anymore because when somebody tries to correct you and say, hey, man, you need to do better at this. I'm going to hold you accountable. Hey, I need you to kind of be more organized. I need you to kind of, you know, do a little better at your job here. And when you start giving excuses, nobody can ever help you to do better because all you're going to do is give an excuse of why you can't do it. I think it's important for us as Christians not to just always give excuses but take some correction. God often uses questions to make people stop and think about the situation. What are you doing here? Don't give me excuses. Tell me why. I'll help you. Our last point is godly encouragement. Even though Elijah couldn't see it in his moment, there was actually a lot to be encouraged about. Why is that? Because 100 prophets were safely hidden by Obadiah. He said, I'm the only one left. But there was 100 of them hidden in a cave. He wasn't the only one left. He was having a pity party. He was worried about his, his circumstance. Then it says 450 false prophets were killed. They could no longer terrorize people anymore. Then a revival took place because people fell to their face and said, I'm no longer serving him, but I'm going to serve your God. Since God couldn't get Elijah's attention in the wind and the roaring rain of the earth, he was given a new mission, and this is what I like the best. Chapter, uh, verse 15, it says, Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came and travel through the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram, then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshai, the king of Israel, and anoint Elijah's son, Shaphet from the town of Abel, I can't pronounce it, I apologize, <laughs> to replace you as my prophet. Then verse 18 says, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So God encouraged Elijah, telling him there are 7,000 people still faithful to God, that is that your ministry was not a failure. Some of us could feel like our time has been wasted, that we have experienced failure. But let me tell you, everything that you've done for God is not a failure. Every little seed you have planted will grow and you may not see it. But let me, ex- let me encourage you that everything you've done in the name of the Lord is not in vain. God still wants to do mighty things even if you can't see it. And he's encouraging lie here, Elijah here that sometimes when we feel down and discouraged, maybe all we need is a new mission. Maybe we need to be remotivated to do something else for God. Instead of soaking in our moment and woe, it's me. Maybe we have to have a new mission. Something that makes us get up, suck it up, and get going. When you start laying around and being negative, and woe, it's me and my, my situation, maybe you just gotta get up and get going. Elijah was put back to work, he anointed the prophets. You know, the Lord was determined to wipe out all the remaining false worship in Israel, and he was going to use the king of Syria, Elijah, and King Jehu. The scared, discouraged man in the cave is going to be now be used to set a fire amongst these three people's life. Isn't that great? That even though we could be in a moment of such discouragement, despair, God can still use you and pick you up out of that cave. It just takes effort. It takes you seeking God. Teach, teach, you know, it's you checking in, not checking out. I just find it so amazing in the scriptures of the way all the prophets didn't always go victory to victory. There was always the in-between. That's the hardest part of the book to read because it's relatable. The takeaways for tonight. Number one is identify the noise in your life. What is the noise in your life? What is it that's distracting you, holding you back, you know, making you feel discouraged, worried? What is it? It's only you who knows the areas of the noise that creep in and try to cripple you. Identify them and give them to God. If Elijah would have given them to God right at the beginning, he could have skipped 40-plus days of his life running scared. Number two is identify the excuses causing you to neglect. What's causing you to neglect, God? Maybe some of you have had God trying to get your attention for a long time, but all you've been doing is running, running, running. Maybe you're just running from God, and you just don't have time to give him your attention. Maybe some of you are neglecting alone time, time in the word and prayer. Identify what you're neglecting and changing. God needs you to change it and pursue him. God's there waiting to, you know, knock on the door and it'll be open. And the third takeaway is recognize and evaluate your stillness. Sometimes we have to evaluate the things in our life. It's causing noises, distractions, and causing us to neglect the things. Maybe we just have to be still and sit there and actually realize this is what's causing me to be at a place that I don't want to be at. The stillness I'm referring to is not a place of not doing nothing. It's a place of not allowing, uh, allowing you know, distractions to pollute or dilute your way of thinking or dilute the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because if it's negative, it's not from God. Also, this is a mind that's using all its resources when it's focused on Christ. Amen. Amen.